Well, I'm glad that Micah and Shannon kind of came in at the end of the the crowd here because they have a garden and they brought fresh tomatoes back there for you to like take. I just glad you didn't get them beforehand because I've ne- I've thought about people throwing tomatoes at me before and <laughs> it's like at least you're not loaded. Uh, but thank you. This is uh, fresh tomatoes, courtesy of the Langmax um, in their garden. Hey, uh, we're starting a new book. If you were with us the last five months uh, when we talked about Hebrews, we're, we're moving on. Literally what we've done is like for two years I taught the Gospels in chronological order and then we moved on to Acts, and as we worked through Acts, the history book, the history book, and it, it explained the the church, Paul wrote a bunch of letters in the midst of that history, and we've literally gone through the different books, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, and 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 then we wrapped up Acts, but Paul continued to write, and so we're past the history of Acts, but we're still reading his letters. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but we do know that Paul wrote Titus. And it was around 65 AD that he wrote this letter. He was actually in Macedonia when he wrote this. I'm going to put a map up there so you can see everything. Uh, But here is Macedonia, and this is up here. They really believe that he was on the western side of Greece uh, when he was writing this. And the focus that we're going to take is on the island of Crete right here. And this is where Titus was actually doing some sort of ministry. We're not exactly sure what that ministry was. But let me back up. And up, obviously, you got Rome up here. And this is in the whole Roman Empire is like in control of this whole area. And it's at this point that Nero is the emperor of Rome. And he's just an evil, evil man. I mean, if, if, you could, if you could think of the most evil things to do to people, he probably did it. I mean, I, this isn't in my Bible. This is like history books, okay? So this, this, this is world history, what we know about Nero. But this is the time that he began to persecute Christians. And he would pick them off one by one. He would literally take the wild animal skins and he would sew them on Christians. Like they couldn't get these wild skins off and he would set them out into the wild until the dogs devoured them. Devoured, like you're getting eaten by dogs. You think about persecution today as a Christian, (laughs) anything close to what Nero was doing. He would, li- he would literally put them in wax suits, suits made of wax, attach them to a tree and set it on fire. I mean, the dude was, was demented and evil. He just, and he was, and so who wants to be a Christian? Anybody want to be a Christian? So in Rome, in Rome, the whole Christianity thing began to like decrease because Nero for, from like 65 to 
68 68 AD, he was like just pummeling Christians. And so when we back up to like Hebrews and we hear what the writer says, it's like, you know, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can, you know, do all these things, but they were really kind of in hiding from Nero and others. He's like, you can go back there, but it's probably not going to be good for you physically. If you go back and do the things that the Jews are wanting you to do, which is go to the temple and make sacrifices. And so that whole persecution of Christians, it spread through the whole Roman Empire, through that whole area. He's going through and just killing Christians. But then in 68 D, finally there's a revolt from the madman. And he's banished from Rome. And he, history tells us that Nero actually committed suicide. That he died in 68 AD. So you think that that's the end of the Christians' problems. You think that that's the end of the Jews' problems. But it's not. It's not. But we'll get there eventually. But this is when the letter was written. There's this crisis that's going on in this island of Crete where Titus is. And he sends a letter to to Paul, and he gets word that the church is in trouble there in Crete. They're just like doing all sorts of evil things. And the influence of the false teachers, and when I say false teachers, typically you in this, that you've been coming here, know that we're probably talking about the Judaizers. Well, what are the Judaizers? The Judaizers are those just staunch Jews that are holding to the law. This is the law. You have to do the law. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says in Leviticus. You've got to do all these things. You've got to go to the temple. And let's, let's back up a second. For those of you that are new here, this, if this is 65 A.D., 65 A.D., Jesus was crucified around 30 A.D., 35 years earlier. And it was his sacrifice, it was his sacrifice that caused all the things that happened in the old covenant to become obsolete it was now the new covenant because jesus died on the cross his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins all sins past present and future and it nullified everything in the old covenant that's why they call it a new covenant you're a new covenant church you live in the new covenant but what was happening is Paul was coming along and teaching these Judaizers, or, or these, these Judaizers were coming along and taking what Paul was teaching and saying, no, 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 what Paul was teaching isn't true. Like, you still have to be circumcised. You still have to go to the temple because the temple was still standing. You still have to make sacrifices. You have to do all these things. You have to follow the law. And Paul was just like totally frustrated because everywhere he would go around this whole area right here, developing churches in Galatia and Macedonia and even to Rome, it was like everywhere he went, they would follow him and say, no, what Paul's teaching isn't true. It's just like if I left this stage for a season and somebody came in here and started teaching law to you, I'd be upset. I would be like, oh my gosh, what are they, what are they doing to our people? And, and people began to like listen to these Judaizers because they were pressuring, they were, they, they were persecuting these Christians as well. 
But there's also this other part of the history that we, that we know about is there was some just like immoral stuff that was happening on Crete. And you'll hear about it here in this first chapter is that there was a rebellion that was being encouraged by this immoral lifestyle. People were just uh, multiple marriages, uh, getting drunk and doing all these things. A lot of gossip was going on. and I mean, it's a small island. It's like you pretty much, pretty much know what's going on in the island. And the word got around quick. So uh, Titus sends word to Paul and says, you know, things are, are pretty bad. I could use some help. I could use some encouragement. So Paul writes this letter to Titus and just try to, tries to encourage him in his faith and the things that obviously at some point Paul and Titus have had a relationship and Paul's led Titus, a Gentile, a Gentile, not a Jew, but a Gentile, to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And literally Paul said, okay, I need you to like administrate this whole island of Crete in ministry. We don't know if Titus was a teacher. We don't know. I'm assuming that he had conversations and he talked about Jesus and things like that, but we don't know that he literally sat and taught. And it doesn't really say that in this story right here, in this letter right here, but he's definitely in charge. So Paul gives him these instructions and kind of like says, here's what you need to do, and then encourages him. And then he sends this letter off with Apollos and Zenos to take to, back to Titus to the island of Crete. We know that at the end of Titus, he, he says that he's going to do that. And we're pretty sure that Luke, who's with Paul, remember Luke was traveling with Paul in Macedonia. He was the one that was very detailed. He was the doctor, and he would write everything down. We're pretty sure that Luke is the one that scribed this letter for Paul. So let's get into to Titus chapter 1. Uh, I, I have to like uh, pause because it says Paul, a servant of God. In some of your translations, it will say a bond servant. If you've been with us for any amount of time and you've gone through the Roman study with us, one of the first things in the Roman study is learning about being a bond servant. A bond servant is one who has literally been set free by his master. The master has bought him as a servant, paid for him, and then finally has like set him free from his responsibilities and his duties. And then all of a sudden the servant says, no, I want to stay here and continue to serve you. Like you're, you're free, you're free. Yeah, but I love my master and I want to serve my master. This is a bond server. We can go back to like Exodus chapter 21 and Deuteronomy chapter 15 and you can see how the bond servant was established back in the old covenant. And so now Paul's literally saying, I, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He set me free, set me free from sin, and now I love him so much I want to serve him. Paul, a servant of God. This was Paul's perception of his relationship with the Lord. Jesus set Paul free, but I love him. He says, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now you know the whole thing about Paul. There's the disciples that were actually with Jesus and got to experience his ministry, and that was not Paul. Paul wasn't one of those disciples. Uh, 
But there was this experience on the road to Damascus where basically the Lord downloaded everything that Jesus did on his earthly ministry to Paul. And Paul literally has been associated with apostles ever since because he knows exactly what Jesus did here on earth. So he even claims the title and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So he's saying right here is this. For the faith of God's elect, you can, oh my goodness, we can go into like, what's the elect? Is it predestination? Did God elect certain people? Or these are the elect ones that were based upon what God knew, he foreknew his foreknowledge before he created the earth, who was going to choose him. That's not what we're doing here, but we're literally talking about those who are saved. He's talking about those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. And here's what happened. When I was eight years old and I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, all of a sudden, he gave me the mind of Christ. I was eight years old and I didn't know that I had the mind of Christ. He literally took my old heart out, put it, replaced it with a new heart, and made me a new creation. And eight years old, I had no idea about that. It took me a long time to figure that out. I wasn't until my 30s until I figured that out. And every day I'm learning more and more about God's grace that leads to this godliness. What's the godliness? That, that's the behavior. It begins to impact my behavior. At eight years old, I was still doing what eight-year-old boys do. You know, and I, I knew I believed in Jesus. I knew that I was saved. I knew I had salvation. But it wasn't until I grew in my spiritual maturity that my behavior began to line up with who I actually was. A new creation. A holy, righteous, redeemed man of God. A child of God. As I, The more I learned about my identity in Christ, the more my behavior began, and guess what? It is still, I still make bad choices. I still pursue my flesh occasionally. But as I grow spiritually mature, that lessens in the things. It's like, it's like, it's like this right here. Uh, if uh, you plant a tomato seed, what fruit is it going to produce? A tomato. If I've been made righteous and I've been made holy, and I'm a new creation, what fruit am I going to produce? I'm going to produce godliness. If I haven't believed in Jesus Christ, and I was, as Matt was saying, I'm born with the, the seed of Adam, and I have a sinful nature, what is my behavior going to be? It's going to be sin. It's going to be me acting out in the flesh that's just the natural thing and this is literally what he's saying for those who are elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness i'm telling you right now if you believe in jesus christ you've been been made holy you're redeemed you're forgiven if you have that knowledge and then you begin to act in it you act out of godliness and here's the thing here's the thing if you can sit here and focus on who you are and your identity rather than the morality of your sins, you, 
you can work all day long on trying not to sin. But that's all you're going to be thinking about. The truth is, if you sit here and think about your identity and about Jesus, all of a sudden that impacts your sin and it causes you to do less sin. Because your behavior begins to line up with what you believe about yourself. And he's literally saying our focus is to be on God's grace in Christ and to allow this to live righteously, to walk around as righteous, holy beings. Verse 2, he says, in the hope of eternal life. Paul's not speaking uh, of hope as a speculation about eternal life, but he's really convinced. Paul knows that hope is a reality. You can like hope and wish, or you can have hope that I know what the future is. Because God has kept his promise all along. And this is what God says. So I believe it. The hope is something that's unshakable and unbreakable that Paul's talking about here. He says, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, the new covenant is literally founded on God's promises to humanity. I promise to save you. I promise to give you the opportunity to be a new creation. God has sworn to himself that he will save forever all who believe in Jesus. That goes back to Hebrews. He's like, God's not going to lie. He's making this promise through the new covenant. It says that God who cannot lie promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of our God and Savior. Paul's literally reminding these people in Crete through Titus that their Savior is none other than God himself. That's the Savior. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are literally responsible for our salvation. That's it. Before time began... It was literally the entire Trinity, all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who set this plan of salvation in Christ. They knew that creation was going to happen. They knew, and they created us and invited us into the relationship with them. And they knew back then who was going to choose them. That's crazy. It says that he, uh, in his own time, My time and God's time are two totally different things. And this says, in his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted. Paul loved to tell people about Jesus, and there's a reason for that. Because it's good news. It's good news. It's the gospel. It literally is. If you... If you take what he's like arguing against and you take the old covenant with the new covenant and you mix it together, let me tell you right now, that is not good news. It is not good news. And this is what the church does today is it takes the old covenant and the new covenant and says, hey, now that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you need to obey the Ten Commandments. Man, that's like totally out of context. Totally out of context, and this is literally what the Judaizers were doing, and Paul's just like totally frustrated. 
And then finally he gets to verse 4. He says, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Our common faith is Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen. Uh, in this room, there's a lot of beliefs in, this, in the word of God. There's a lot of beliefs in his creation in this room. But our one commonality of faith is Jesus Christ. It says, grace and peace from the God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Savior. Titus was a Gentile who was led literally to Christ by Paul. And he now is like the minister on Crete. Uh, and then it says this, is that God is giving endless grace and peace. You have endless grace. Someone asked all the time, it's like you get this question, it's like, is there too much grace? <laughs> Just think about that for a second. Is there too much grace? No, he he died for all sin. Like you, you you've got to understand this. Jesus died two thousand years ago, and he literally knew what he was dying for. And you weren't even around. <laughs> you weren't even around, but he knew what that you were gonna be around and he knew what you were gonna do. And he took care of it before you were even born. That's a crazy thought. But it's the truth. And this is God's message to the world today, regardless of what we may feel or experience because of life's difficulties. He's provided an all-sufficient salvation. Verse 5, it says, The reason I left you in Crete, talking to Titus, was to set right what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. When he says to like set right... It's almost like this medical term that when you break a bone, the doctor comes in and sets it, resets it so that it forms correctly. And this is literally what he's saying to Titus, that you're coming in. The reason I left in Crete was to set right. I want you to fix what's broken there on Crete. Like, help them. Titus seems to have been primarily a, an administrative pastor, Someone that's going to organize and get things. And, and honestly, that's, that's kind of what I was in the beginning. I was more the administrative pastor than I was the, the teaching pat, pastor. And it, it's what I was designed to do. But the, there, there's no indication here that he taught the congregation, though he certainly could have. He could have taught it. In verse 6 it says, he's explaining what an elder is. And he's like, Titus, you got to like administrate this island, uh, make elders, appoint elders. And this is what an elder looks like. An elder must be blameless. Some of your uh, translations say above reproach. The husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Oh, here we go. Uh, in in churches today, they appoint elders, deacons, and things like that, and it's almost like it's a committee. It's almost like like we have five elders uh, in Levner. I said this I think last week. The United States government expects us to have some kind of board as a nonprofit, so it's not just me that's running this thing. Uh, so I have uh, four four men 
along with myself that uh, we associate as elders in here. Uh, Matt Tully being one, Phil Tully being one, Ed Hens not here, and uh, Big John somewhere back there, and myself, five elders. Started out as a board, and we just changed the name to elders. That may be an appointment that's expected of us from the government, but get this. There's more elders in this room. There's more men and women that are respected as spiritual leaders in this room. And I don't have to sit there and say, oh, you have the title, you have the title, you have the title. It's, it's not that way. But there's small groups that are happening in here. There's, there's, there's small groups that I don't even know about that are happening in here. There's Bible studies and ministries that are happening. And, and he's literally saying to Titus, you know, this is what an elder looks like, that they should be blameless. He's, he's saying, I want you to find people that truly know Jesus, that truly know Jesus. If they truly know Jesus, they're going to produce godliness. They're going to produce godliness, and you don't have to worry about all this stuff, but if you do, this is what it looks like. The husband of one wife, they don't have like multiple wives. Translate that how you want, but that's literally what was going on in the island of Crete is like they were having multiple wives. And it says with faithful children. Basically, if you have a household of kids and that you're teaching them about Jesus and leading them to Jesus, no matter what their behavior is, no matter what their behavior is, that's being faithful, having faithful kids. I can't control what Corey and Chloe do. I can't. But I can surely tell them about Jesus. And they can know about Jesus and they can love Jesus, but... I can't be responsible for the decisions they make, especially once they move out of my house. So, again, translate that as you want. Verse 7, it says, As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker. You're blessed. Not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving, what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. That looks like a laundry list of like, you, you can sit out here and you can be judgmental of me. You can be, but I'm telling you right now, uh, I could blow it sometimes. The, uh, I could blow this. I could like, publicly blow this and not be sitting up here on this stage I get that and somebody said well that's why we need to be praying for you because of all the things that going on and it's like there's a there's obviously an expectation by society that godliness comes out of me and I, I think it's natural for me and my family to be hospitable and to love what is good to be sensible to be righteous holy self-controlled sometimes <laughs> no self-controlled yeah self-controlled really becomes more of me listening to the spirit rather than me listening to myself 
And here, here's the thing. Love is the single characterization or trait of the Christian. That's it. Comes down to, to loving. And consequently, the elders ought to be examples of how Christ's love shines through believers. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, you can get picky about everything. And I saw your kids. I, you know, you and your wife. I, I get all that. But it really comes down to loving Jesus and loving others. Verse 9, it says, holding faithful to the message as taught. Paul's like, remember what I taught you. Don't go back to what they're teaching you. Remember what I taught you. Holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. (sighs) Breathe a second here, a second. Elders, he's still talking about the elders. Elders must be well-versed in this new covenant. Like, you really need to know what we're teaching in here. I'm not saying every aspect of it. I'm not saying know what I know or what Keith knows or what Matt knows or what Bill knows or Scott knows. I'm I'm not saying know what everybody else knows. But know this, we're a new covenant church. And I believe that I'm redeemed and holy. And I am not under the law. I have a Holy Spirit living inside of me that tells me how to behave. And he's not busting my chops. Whenever I choose to walk by the flesh, he doesn't go, oh, you blew it again. Get your act together. He's like saying, hey, I redeemed you. I made you holy. You're righteous. You're perfect. You're mine. You're mine. He keeps reminding me of that. And then when I do choose to walk by the flesh, I'm like, that doesn't line up. That doesn't line up. So instead of focusing on not following the flesh, I focus on following the Spirit. I have to focus on following the Spirit. He says, verse 10, For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. (laughs) The circumcision party. You must be circumcised. They walk around with knives, happy little knife cutters. You must be. (laughs) Or stones, I guess. I I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) Can you imagine that's somebody's job? Uh... (laughs) <laughs> but but this is this, this is why we know that he's talking about Judaizers because as a Jew they had to be circumcised that was the covenant that God made with them that the men would be circumcised on the eighth day and now he's like they're coming around and telling you that you still need to be circumcised and I'm telling you no that's not the case this is there's a new covenant out there And there's a circumcision that takes place, but it's of the heart. He takes out the old heart and replaces it with the new heart. That's the circumcision that takes place. And it's a spiritual circumcision, not a physical one. But they're going around and saying, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And he's like, don't buy it. Don't fall into it. It's deception. 
It's a constant bat. Look, it was a constant battle during the early church time. And honestly, it's a constant battle today. They may not telling you you need to be circumcised, but they're telling you everything else that you have to do. You have to like give to the church. You have to like be on a committee. You have to serve in the child's team. You have to be on the setup team. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to get up early in the morning. You have to pray, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You've got to do all these things. And it's like, no. I just need to be what God made me. I just need to be. He was absolutely against such an act. And he he literally encouraged the people there on the island to silence these people. He 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 hasn't done that with me. I can't like go around and silence all these people that are teaching law and the mixture of law and grace. But if they have an ear to hear, I'll sit down and talk with them. If they have an ear to hear, I'll, I'll be glad to, verse by verse, explain what I believe. Verse 11 says, It's necessary to silence them. They're ruining entire households by teaching what they, what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of the very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He's literally quoting a Cretan prophet right there by the name of Epimendus. He's quoting him saying, this is, this is what your island is known for. They're liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so they encourage that lifestyle, that immoral lifestyle. And Paul's saying to Titus, you got to stop that. Go out there and if you're going to cancel anything, cancel them. And the morality that they're trying to promote of the island. Because it's causing conflict with those who are believers in Jesus Christ and who have heard the message. And they're getting mixed messages. And now you need, you need to put an end to this. And you can look at that island and go, we have a tendency to always like label people according to the flesh for, by what is seen. But are they, are they seeing this? Are they seeing the godliness that what comes from your identity in Christ? Jesus is the only real identity for the people. And he'll bring people together based upon that. Verse 13, it says this, this testimony is true. It's true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. He's literally encouraging for Titus to reprove this false doctrine and ultimately so that the church would be strengthened in its understanding. If they can get the law out of there and understand that they're holy, all of a sudden it changes things. Let me tell tell you something. You, in your understanding of your identity, are greatly impacting this community. Pinhead's got a new manager. Kevin's still around, and he's they bought another facility in Brownsburg, and he's over that. But Ryan's here. Their staff is all, all like changing. Robert, our guy that's like opened 
this facility for us for years is leaving. Next week is his last week. But there's new guys coming in, new men and women coming in that's leading this thing. And one of them stopped me this morning. He goes, I ran into Emily, who used to work here, and she had nothing but good to say about you guys. How you've taken care of this building, how you've taken care of the employees during COVID, how you've ministered to people, you've done weddings and ministered to the staff that people come in here and they know the the servers by name. Like, he spoke highly this morning about you and the fruit that you're producing. That you guys come in here and you set this thing up and then you put it all back. He goes, I was in here for two months and never knew there was a church that met in here. And t- until people were sitting at the bar talking about, yeah, I come here on Sunday mornings for church. There's a church in here? Yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, it, it, if you can like believe this thing and get the whole law and the old covenant out of it, you have a great impact on this community. He says, last couple of verses, to the pure, everything is pure. You're, you're the pure. You're the pure. He, he purified you. He purified you. You're pure. Hebrews, it says, you're perfect. You're perfect. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself any better than you already are. If you figure that out, if you figure that out, it impacts your behavior, which is improving. It impacts your behavior. To the pure, everything is pure. If we believe in Jesus, we are pure to the core. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. He's literally talking about those Judaizers that don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Just go back to the old practices. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. Like, they never can, they never can clear their conscience of their sins because they keep going back, have to go back every year to the temple and make sacrifices. And as soon as they leave the temple after making the sacrifice, they blow it again. They never have a clear conscience. They claim to know God, the God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. That's a great way to end this message. He's literally speaking about those who have mixed law and grace. And these Judaizers, they were also present among the early church that it caused confusion. The way that I end up this uh, message is this. I have a friend here. that I have known for 37 years. So when I graduated uh, Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, my freshman year, I was called into the ministry. God called me to do ministry. I finished OBU and uh, got married to Michelle. And But the month before I got married, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and uh, began working at Park City's Baptist Church 
in Dallas, huge church in the Park Cities area, Highland Park area. And uh, the Minister of Recreation was Don Duran, and his first job was in Shreveport, Louisiana, where my grandfather hired him on as the Minister of Recreation at a church in Shreveport, Louisiana. My grandfather was still alive at the time, and he called Don, and he's like, hey, my, son, my grandson's coming to seminary. We think you could like, take him on, and Don hired me as an intern. When I came in May of 1986 to Dallas and the Park Cities, this whole new city to me, uh, Lori was Don's administrative assistant. But she really ran the show. <laughs> and she is still there to this day running the show. But uh, it was this administrative assistant that loved on me and my wife and encouraged me in my seminary studies to prepare me to get to this point in my life. And she has loved me and my kids all, all these years. And I've begged her and begged her to come to Indianapolis and see what we're doing. And she's here today, 37 years later. Uh, it's, uh, she, has been a great influence on my life. I can't imagine Paul thinking the same thing about Titus. Titus, you know, it's like, you're an administrative dude, but you have done much to propel, propel Paul's ministry there on that island. That, Lori, you've done a great job in loving us to this point where we can love these people and just see what we do. Uh, it is about Jesus. It's not about us. We know that. And uh, we have a, a, a great relationship. I'm just thankful for you and what you've done in, in our ministry. You, you are partly responsible for this, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, so thank you, and uh, I'll, end, I'll end on that. I, I, I believe this is what Paul's saying to Titus. Teach the good news. Teach the new covenant. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the godliness that it produces. Um, yeah, this is you guys. So Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for uh, loving us. Thanks for uh, just... Uh, making us holy, setting us apart from the rest of the world, redeeming us even when we screw up and mess up. You, you're okay with this. You love us dearly. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.